Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. This is the time right now. Right now? If you're out there listening and you're about to board a Megabus, if you're about to climb onto a 747, mm. if you're running to catch that last Amtrak train out of the city and back home, if you're about to ski down that mountain, <laughs> yes, to, to all of our Nordic listeners, if you're about to get back on that ski lift, <laughs> go up the mountain, then slide back down. Listen, guys, if you are traveling anywhere, now is the time to download not just this episode right here, but all of the prior episodes that we have done in this 12 days of podcasts. Clear out everything on your phone. Delete all your pictures. Delete all your apps. <laughs> delete now- your text messages. Delete your text message app. <laughs> now is the time. Now is the time to download that Guapdad 4000 episode, that Kodak Black episode, that Denzel Curry episode, the two two Jews and two black dudes episodes, the Amina two episode, the Kazim episode, the Josh Dick episode, the Dream episode. And we got two more coming up. So make room. Delete your grandma's last voicemails. <laughs> Delete your ebook copy, Jeff, of Solacosta, The Diary of Me. Isn't that the R. Kelly book? By Robert Kelly. <laughs> Delete it from your phone right now. Yeah, I mean, you should be doing that anyway. Make all the room for all the episodes. A waste of time with It's The Real. 12 days of podcasts. We have a couple left. But make sure you've gotten all those for your journeys. Jeff, today on the podcast. Today on the podcast, we have one of the best behind-the-scenes people that we know from the industry. And people love behind-the-scenes industry-type stories. So here we go with Emmanuel Cuny Panicker. Yeah, the new SVP of video over at Capital Music Group. And Jeff... We caught her in the nick of time. She was moving to the West Coast the next day after basically 13 years at Atlantic Records, before that, Rockefeller Records. It's a very inspiring story, someone from very humble circumstances on the Lower East Side to eventually working with people like Jay-Z, Bun B, Kanye West, Killer Mike, T.I., Beanie Siegel, and everybody you know, and never switching up, always remaining humble and hardworking, Manny is the best. And I think you guys are really going to love this story. Jeff, when do you want to get into it? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Pull Up and Spray, a.k.a. Sprinkler System. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Say Less, a.k.a. Helen Keller. <laughs> Seeing it in person is <laughs> You have to introduce yourself. Yeah. I'm Emmanuel Cuny. I'm also Ian Jeff's friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is your third favorite podcast, The Waste of Time, it's The Real. Manny, what's happening? Hey, we're so happy that you're here. And we caught you before you're making a cross-country move, which is a big deal. <laughs> the big move is in two days. But yeah, that that's a lot, Manny. Like packing, boxing it, like deciding, like, you know, everything. Life changes. Life changes. Is another part of the journey. But congratulations <laughs> on that. You. That's a big deal. But I'm let's super excited. You should be. But right now it's just like all the pieces and actually dealing with the logistics. I haven't gotten a chance to really absorb right let's start at the very beginning where are you originally from i grew up in lower east side on cherry street okay Whoa, right, right by the brooklyn bridge you and are the second are most famous person besides true, true life. life yeah <laughs> yeah who we just had on the podcast you did yeah we yeah. did Aww. yeah what was it like growing up on the lower east side so lower east side when i was growing up is way different than it is now um these high rises that are there now, like there weren't any, there were a lot of like abandoned lots. There was, uh, there were a lot of squatters. Um, A life wasn't there. (laughs) No, 
was a very different, colorful time. Yeah, rough um, and tumble. Yeah, my mom had gotten us an apartment in the first Section 8 building in New York City when I was a baby. And that's on Cherry Street. Mm -hmm. So it was affordable housing for her. She was a single mom. And and was it just you two? It was just us two for a while. And then she started taking care of my dad's other child from his marriage. And were you finding a, a lot of like friends within your building? I had one or two friends. My mom would take me out a lot, but like a lot out of the neighborhood. Like she believed in going to museums every weekend, going to fairs, going to the library. So I was one of those kids that would go to school, come home, do my homework. But then on the weekend, she would take me out a lot. Like I didn't really hang out on my block, probably till I was like a preteen, mm -hmm. a little older where she like something shifted. I'm not sure what, but she was like, go downstairs. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like go downstairs and you can come back up in an hour or two. And I remember the first time I was like, what? <laughs> and from that point on, and I was probably around 10 or 11, like I did hang out on the block and had my friends, Lamira. Um, there was another girl named Maria. At that time, Lower East Side in our building was predominantly like blacks, Hispanics, Puerto Ricans and Dominicans specifically, and Chinese. Mm -hmm. And there were about like, I can remember maybe three white people, including my mom in the building. And then like, what kind of shops were like around you? I distinctly remember when they built the Pathmark because it was like in an abandoned lot. And other than that, there was Pathmark in our building. Eventually there became a stop one, which was like the the building bodega. Yep. Um, when you walked to the train station, there was a pizzeria, a liquor store, another bodega. If you wanted like sneakers and like coats, you had to go to Delancey, like where Hyperactive was or Orchard Street, like had leather coats, sheepskins <laughs> when sheepskins were in style. Yeah. yeah. Where was your elementary school? So my first elementary school was St. Stanislaus and it was on Ninth Street in Alphabet City and it was what? a Catholic school. Were you very religious? My mom was Catholic. Well, my mom is Catholic. Mm -hmm. She's not dead. Yeah. My mom is Catholic. My father's Hindu. My mom didn't force me to pick a religion. She just wanted me to figure it out on my own when I got older. I was baptized when I was born as a Hindu. Like, I had the puja ceremony and everything. Mm -hmm. But we didn't practice any specific thing at home. And I wasn't, like, forced. I would go to the temple with my father. Sometimes I would go to church with my mom. When I went to church with my school, I didn't have to go. I didn't have to do my first communion. I didn't have to go do confessions. Thank God. That was like the most <laughs> scary thing to me. Like, I'm like, why do you have to go tell the priest your sins? No. <laughs> but I went to elementary school there from first grade to third grade. And then in fourth grade, she put me in this other Catholic school on 17th Street. Um, right by the Spotify offices mm -hmm. um, called St. Francis Xavier. And from there, I went... My mom was having money issues because she was a single mom and struggling. And from there, I ended up in a French school called Lycée Kennedy, where she managed to get me a full scholarship from the French embassy wow. consulate for the next six, seven, eight, nine, because I ended up skipping a grade by accident. By, by accident? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eleven, like for the next six years. So she got me a full scholarship there where my mom only had to, at that point, pay for my books, my uniform, food, and like if Holy she needed cow. me to do after school or like extra things. But the the French council, it paid for the rest because she's French. She was a single mom. I keep on saying single mom. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> um, and I'm, I have double nationality. Mm -hmm. So when I left Lisa Kennedy, I was able to leave with a French high school diploma and an American one. And I had the option to go to French university if I wanted to pursue that. Did you want to go to a French university or no? No, because like at a young age, I felt 
that college was like a delay onto the job market. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to end up having, we had money issues. So my mom like couldn't even really afford to do the different applications for the colleges. So I remember being in like my last years of high school and saying, well, if I just do the city university application, which is $50, she's not going to be stressed out about me trying to go to a Harvard, a Yale, and having to cough up $100 for each. And at the time, the French school I was in didn't really have the resources to be able to say, hey, there's a way around that. You can do this, you can do that, because all the kids were able to afford it. I was like one of the the few children that was on a scholarship whose mom literally was having a problem getting the $50. Wow. And so when college came around, it was like, okay, if I do the city university application, Baruch could be my first choice. Even if I don't get there, they'll put me into Hunter, which is my second choice, or the third one, and at least she's not shit out of luck. Yeah. yeah. When was the earliest you started taking the train on your own? I was about, I want to say, 11 or 12 years old. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Where would you go? I would go from East Broadway, where I grew up, on the F train to school. By yourself? Yeah. The F train to 42nd Street, stay at the front of the train to get off, like, at the exit closer to 43rd Street, cross through the buildings to go to 44th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue. Man. So did you enjoy high school? High school was really tough, but in retrospect now, I'm so grateful for it. It was tough because I was an American kid from the Lower East Side. I get put in this French school, and everything is taught in French. English is taught as a second language. I didn't really know French when I got there. I'd gotten like a couple of like entry level classes that my mom put me in like over that summer, but I didn't know French fluently. So I'm the only kid in the class of maybe 10 or 15 of us don't speak French. I'm super duper tall and skinny. So I'm this height, maybe an inch or two shorter, five foot five or six at 10 or 11 and weigh like 80 or 90 pounds. Mm. And I'm French and Indian. Mm. And most of these children are Haitian, from Senegal, from French-speaking countries in Africa. So there's Senegalese people, there's Ivory people from Ivory Coast, and here comes this Indian girl with two braids and braces, doesn't speak French, didn't really know how to do the math that they they were already doing because it was a little more advanced, and it was a very rigorous schedule. Like We had like class from 8 a.m. till 3 p.m. every day, and it was a half an hour for lunch, and then every night you had three to four hours of homework. Mm. Because it was so small, you couldn't really, like, get by. You either knew your stuff or you didn't. So I remember in the first week I was there in sixth grade, or was it really seventh grade? But we <laughs> thought it was sixth grade. And these kids knew how to do um, division with, uh, in English, is a decimal point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Or yeah. in French, it's a comma instead of the decimal point. Yeah. I only knew how to do it with the remainders. So once again, I looked like a dummy. So by the second or third week in that school, they had to put me with the child, like with the third graders to learn French, like the grammatical parts of it and everything else. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I would just come wow. back to my class for the hour to a day of French, English and math. And so my first year was like that. Holy cow. So then I would like look like the super slow kid that's going with the little kids, the third graders and then coming back. And I was the only kid in class that I remember that was, like, not black or white. And at the time, like, now there are mixed kids everywhere. At the time, like, already in American school, they were like, that's not your real mom. And I'm like, why? First grade. I'm like, why? How is that not my real mom? That's my mom. They're like, no, she's white. You're brown. They're like, and she's old. (laughs) 
And it was like, what? Man. Yeah. So going from like American school to French school, it was like, it was different. Um, but now I'm grateful for it because I feel like it taught me to like be a loner, to be okay with being different. Like it gave me thicker and tougher skin. And then also when I went to American college, the way American college is, like my first two or three years of college, I was completely bored because in French school, I learned all that stuff in math and everything in ninth, 10th, 11th and 12th grade. Yeah. Like in French school, there's no such thing as multiple choice questions. Like there's no, there's no copying stuff from a book and putting quotation marks. No, the, your French teacher wants to know, what does that mean in your own words? Mm. And they're gonna know whether it's your words or not because they know you. So what did you feel good about in high school? Hmm. My best friend Patricia. All right. And the weekends we'd spend like listening to music. She was the one that like, first played like Red Man for me hmm. and like all kinds of different hip hop stuff. What were you listening to before that? Like my mom would make me go play like classical music on the piano. And then I liked like Madonna, George Michael, Millie Vanilli, New Kids on the Block. Mm -hmm. Yo, by the and way, that Millie Vanilli album hits. It hits <laughs> so hard. It's so good. It was so good. And yeah. I used to watch Video Music Box too. And then I met my best friend Patricia who was like the sunshine at the end of like a rainy tunnel. Yeah. And she took me in and I was probably 10 or 11. Patricia was like 14. Mm -hmm. And she was like the cool older sister I never had that would let me sleep over, that would give me wake makeovers and like side ponytails that would brush my hair. Um, she taught me how to dance. I'm still not great, but she tried her <laughs> best. <laughs> and Patricia was like everything. Like that was my dog. Like yeah. she still is. She's like my best friend, my sister. And especially when other kids, especially older boys, were trying to bully me, like Patricia would come through like Superman, like, <laughs> leave her alone in um, the hallway. But I'm also great because it was like the French school like just gave me another like experience that was so worldly. Like I carry it with me everywhere and it helps me to relate to a lot of different people. I just remembered that we were in your high school for so a B.O.B. concert. Yeah. Yes. That was, okay, so that library wasn't our library, but we were allowed to go in that library. Yeah. Yes. Whose yes. library was that? It was like the building's library. It's like New York Mechanic Society or whatever. But at the time, that was a French school, but it was also a Japanese international school. So remember, we were talking about, yeah, we were talking about the, we were talking about the um, fader and, um, and we were in like some small room vitamin with a guy that was water. giving us $2 bills. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And they would do all these different shows. Like they had, um, they had Earl Sweatshirt at an uh, auto mechanic. They had Travis Scott in a bank on Lower East Side. Yeah. Um, and so, so all like, these like surprise sort of situations Solange at a, a hair salon yeah for young for artists yeah. yeah yeah so that was that was one of them I think B.O.B. was there no and in yeah. that one I think it was in the library and that was the library I actually graduated from yeah. high school in so That's when you so crazy so when you I, uh, graduated did you did you know what your next step was going to be hell no <laughs> I was not even 17 yet no I was like about to be 17 Please, I didn't know what I was doing from one day to the next. <laughs> like, and even through like high school, I remember like my last years, like just figuring out ways to like make money without getting in trouble because my mom wouldn't let me get like a real job because she wanted me to focus on school, but I needed money. <laughs> so I would like tutor kids, I would babysit, I would sell like guests in Timberland counterfeit watches from Canal Street. Whoa. This guy named Rico from the <laughs> village had taught me how to do that. Um, Wait, where would you sell them? By my school. 
<laughs> so just in Times Square. It used to be like a passageway from like, no, not really Times Square. So <laughs> if you go on 6th Avenue, right? If you go on 44th Street between 43rd and 44th Street, there mm-hmm. was a build. There's a building you could still pass through it. I just saw it the other day when I went to the bar, the New York Bar Association building. You can walk through it. So in the winter time, we would cut through there. Oh, it's six and, and there a were half. also pay phones. Right. Yeah, I don't know if it's no. That's the going towards Seventh Avenue. It's between Sixth and. Oh, 10th. got it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I took a picture of it. Yeah. <laughs> I need you guys to see this. Yeah. Hold on. Where's my phone? So remember, I'm a mom now. Right. There's this building. So there were also payphones there. I had a beeper. Wait, <laughs> I was like, yeah, wait, sorry, wait, wait, wait. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. There was this, this, there was this building. They had payphones there, where I would go check in with my mom over every break I had because she had me in like acting and modeling too. Whoa. So I would go get these watches. I also used to promote parties from like an early like fifteen, sixteen. I was like doing street team. Whoa. Um. So I would have my flyers. I would have my watches. There were people I would get to know, and the same people that I would go when, like, at points we had to, like, do something for, like, Hands Across America, mm-hmm. and I would have to get sponsors, would be the same. I just would get to know everyone. I knew everybody. I knew the people in, like, the bagel and roll shop. I knew, <laughs> and from a young age, it was like that. But wait, I want to show you a picture. Yeah, where were these parties that you were promoting? All over the city. Really? For mm-hmm. for teens? No. Mm-mm. Like, legit? Like, there was a club called Demerara's. There was Cafe Lynx, who I was working over there with this guy named Garvin. And I want to say the other gentleman's name was Kwame and Dexter. And Garvin ended up working at Rockefeller. So when I came there for my internship (laughs) and was speaking to Bobby Dash that day, Garvin happened to be at Rockefeller working. He was able to co-sign me and say I was a hard worker. Wow. Mm -hmm. And he knew me from when I was 15, 16. So you're 15, 16. Are you doing auditions? I'm I'm auditioning for stuff, too. Um, that summer that I got my high school diploma, I moved out of my mom's house. Mm-hmm. I moved to Harlem. Oh, uh, with Patricia? No. Oh. That time, no. I moved with my boyfriend. Whoa. At the time. So, you are very independent. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm an adult. Yeah. yeah. I'm starting college. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so, so, you're 15, 16 in the clubs. Uh, did I you was have, definitely in the clubs. Did you have trouble with the bouncers? It was a different time. Yeah. <laughs> It was, a, and then I always knew like a lot of older people. Yeah. So like, Peter Gation like owned like four clubs at that point. It was Limelight. Yep. It was Club USA, the Tunnel, and the Palladium. And you were, and you were with Peter anywhere. I went to Limelight only once or twice, honestly, because it was a different crowd then too, and it was when I was older. Mm-hmm. But I remember like giving out flyers outside of there. I definitely went to Club USA and I was like 16, maybe 16 and a half. And I slid. He had like a slide, a tube slide in there <laughs> that would go into like a thing of balls. What, like a Burger King? <laughs> like, yes. But it was at Club USA. That's wild. And he had like another room that had all like these peep show things or whatever. Like, it was amazing. Like, I was like, wow, yeah, yeah. this club is fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then the tunnel was like hip hop night on Sunday night. But on yep. Saturday night, there were all these other rooms that you could go to. And in the basement, there was like a hip hop room or whatever. Did you cross paths with Joey IE? I don't know where I initially met Joey IE, but Joey IE was always around too. Yeah. Like as was Big Cab. Cypher Sounds. Flex. Bobby um, Trends. Mark Ronson. Oh my God. Mark Ronson used to do the best parties too. Like he would DJ whole sets through the whole night. He used to do this thing called um, New Music Cafe and Rebar. 
I think it was on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. It was just a whole different scene then, honestly. So people knew you. You were just, you know, Manny? No. You were Manuel? No, I was the Manuel, yeah. Okay. Manny came. Cameron nicknamed me Manny Fresh. Whoa. Yeah, that came later. So you're moving around the clubs at 15, 16. Yeah. How little do you care about your school day? I was doing that like over the summertime. Okay. I remember like, and then when I started college was when it started to kind of affect, but I was always able to, once I moved out of my mom's house too, like do like four hours of rest and then get up, go to school, go to work and do what I have to do. Gotcha. The club didn't overtake like all of my responsibilities in life. It was just a part of my day. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Even when I got to Rockefeller and I was an intern slash running the girl street team with this girl named Adrian at one point, it was just another nook. It's not like, oh, go to the club to then sleep late and have a hangover the next day and not do anything with my life. It yeah. was right. like, go to the club, go have fun with your friends, hand out some flyers, put together guest lists, go back home, whether it was my mom's house over the summertime or when I was back in Harlem or whatever, like go home and then sleep from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. and then get yourself together and Whoa. do it all over again. So you had a great work ethic. Yeah, I always worked really hard, whether it was in school, whether it was tutoring kids, then like when I went to college, I ended up getting like a real like office job in World Trade Center. Doing what? Um, telemarketing. What floor? For Morgan Stanley Dean Witter at the time. Um, and I was like 17 in two days when I applied for it. And I think like I lived with my boyfriend, so I thought I was an adult. But then <laughs> there was a reality check one day where they were like, before I could even get the job, I had to take a urine, a drug test to mm -hmm. work in that company. And in order to do that, you need to be 18. And it was like, wait, <laughs> hold on. And then I remember the gentleman that had hired me was like, well, go do the drug test. And I was like, I need my mom. I need a guardian's <laughs> permission. But I figured it out and got it done. Whoa. Um, wait, without was, your mom's permission? I don't remember what exactly happened. <laughs> I was always really resourceful. Maybe I got her to sign it. I don't know. I don't know. But I figured it out. And um, I was working at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. And I don't remember how long I lasted there because they had a dress code. I didn't really like dress codes, especially after <laughs> private school. Yeah. And on certain days, I definitely had a hard time and <laughs> was not wearing a pantsuit at 17. How much of your life is like, catch me if you can? In what sense? Being very resourceful and Always being like, yeah. That's like my motto. Don't tell me what can't be done. Anything is possible. Like, I was supposed to be a doctor. Like, I'm an Indian girl. From an Indian father and a French mom, I my marriage was supposed to be prearranged. Mm. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I grew up in Section 8. Mm -hmm. I didn't finish college. How much college did you make it through? I made it through my third year. And it was around the time of the filming of Big Pimping. And I had missed... At the time, there was no online schooling. I had missed one too many math classes of calculus, but I already knew the calculus from high school. And I got into it with the teacher where he was like, you already missed three classes, so I'm about to drop you. The exam is next week. And I was like, please let me take the exam. I'm going to pass it. Please don't drop me. I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm struggling. I come, I'm poor. I'm working. I missed classes because of work. Because at this point, I want to say I was the receptionist at Rockefeller. I was no longer an intern, but I was also Chaka Pilgrim's assistant and Bobby Dash's assistant. And... Things had started picking up and I had choices at this point. Like if I didn't come to class, it was really because I was doing something for my future and my career. 
The professor wanted to drop me. I made a deal with him and I said, listen, please just let me come take the exam next week. If I pass it, I get to stay. If I don't, you can drop me at that point because your point is valid. I'm not learning. I'm not here. I'm not present. I said, but I took all of this in high school and I'm really good at math. At the time I was getting like Pell and Tap grants, but I was also getting like a a math grant like from Baruch because my SAT score was so high. I passed the class, but it was like a turning point in my life where it was like, what are you going to do? These are choices you have. You can stay in college, possibly don't work hard at Rockefeller and don't get bumped up from receptionist to assistant to eventually the position itself. Or you can stay here and go to college, lose all of that, get your degree, come back to Rockefeller and hope that they have a position. Right. Like, and at that point in life, I think I was like maybe 20 or 21, maybe 22. At that point in life, I'm just like, hmm. I knew how hard it was for me to get an internship. Do I want to possibly jeopardize what I have going on now? And at that point, also Rockefeller had become my family. Like I had Chaka, Dara, Omi, Shari, Carlene. Like we were a family. So it was like choices, choices, choices. And I want to say the next time I had an exam or whatever, I didn't argue, but I did pass that calculus exam. Mm. So the next week I was like, see, I told you I already knew this stuff. But even though I won that argument, it was like, do I want to keep on doing this with all the teachers? What am I doing? I can always go back to school. And then I was always a kid that like read a lot on her own, researched what I wanted to. If I don't know something, like I'm going to go find out. How did you find out about Rockefeller Records in the first place? So remember I told you my mom had me in acting and modeling. Mm-hmm. So I was like a SAG actor kid, right? Yeah. And at a certain point, videos started paying in cash. I don't know when, how this happened, but I ended up on a Streets is Watching set. Whoa. On a day of a shoot of Streets is Watching. Um, And I met someone named Pain in the Ass. (laughs) And I got his phone number, (laughs) along with other people on set. But when I was looking for an internship, and as I was calling, I really wanted to go work at Violator or Flavor Unit. I wanted to work for a management company. Mm-hmm. Didn't even know that I wanted to work for like a label. Like it was like, no, I want to go work for a management company. I want to help to manage people. It was either music or kids. I love children and I love music. And well, a lot of rappers are kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, but at Rockefeller, a lot of the rappers had like a lot of the people at, on the staff had children. Mm-hmm. So there were constantly children at work. Oh, I'm mm. just saying they act like children. <laughs> <laughs> as we'll get into later. <laughs> We're all big babies. Yeah. <laughs> um, pain in the ass connected me with someone named Ray Ray. Ray Ray was in radio. I happened to call on the day that was his last day. He was leaving and he was going to, I think, priority. I could be wrong. Ray Ray transferred me to Bobby Dash. He was like, well, today's my last day, but hold on. Let me transfer you to Bobby. <laughs> Bobby was like, what do you know how to do? I was like, I know how to type, answer phones. I know how to do a lot. I speak multiple languages. Bobby was like, just come in and meet me. <laughs> um, I met him. I went there that day. Like, I got on the train from, like, Cherry Street. Came. The office was on Fifth Avenue between 15th and 16th Street. Got there probably within the hour because I really wanted this. Bobby was like, what can you do again? Can you answer phones? I can do this. Just... Gave him my resume. Garvin happened to be over there in the outside part of his office. Garvin saw me. Garvin was like, she used to do street team. So there goes another thing I can do at the time. Bobby was doing radio promotions. And I want to say I might have started that day or maybe the next day. Wow. And then eventually I worked my way up to get the like $15 a week Metro card. Because only a few of us could get that $15 a week Metro card. Then it got bumped up to $40. Then it got bumped up to, I got $100 a week. And then Bobby would also find other things that I could side hustle or whatever and I could get money from. 
And I was also still doing videos and acting. And I worked at a photography agency across Union Square on Union Square East or whatever. So like I had figured out ways to like supplement my income. What was the first time meeting Chaka Pilgrim like? You know what the first time is that I saw her? Actually, I remember. I remember this clearly. She was on Streets is Watching. She was running it. And I didn't know what she was doing, but she was on the phone. And she looked like she was like really, really busy. And I remember looking at her because before that I had been on like a lot of movie sets from the time I was a kid. But the only like all like black or brown crew that I'd ever been around was Spike Lee. And even on music video shoots, a lot of time like all the people of power were like white. And I saw Chuck and I'm like, who is this little lady? <laughs> who is she? I wonder what she's doing. And then eventually I met her in the office and she's amazing. She was always amazing and like hilarious as hell, mm -hmm. but always like would fight for what was right. Doesn't care who, what, if something's wrong, like, mm -mm. Mm. she was like a mama bear to me. Yeah. Like an older sister slash mama bear, as was Dara and Omi, like. I would go and bother all of them, asking them for work, like Lenny, Hip Hop, F Sharp, Garvin, and like Chaka always had work. And Dar and Omi ran like a fan club at the time called Fan Family. Dar, Omi, and Chaka had a fan club called Fan Family, and there was always there were always letters or something that needed to be done. Mm -hmm. So I was that kid in the office that even when like when I started working there full time, and then I was getting two hundred dollars a week. <laughs> From 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. All in Metro I'm, cards. <laughs> 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. $200 a week that was taxed, by the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. But 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'm over there at the front desk asking everybody, do you need anything? Do you need anything? Do you need me to check any voicemail? Do you need any lyrics typed up? Like, And Lenny would always, because he would come from the studio, Lenny would write out the lyrics that Jay just recited the night before, rapped the night before, and then I would type them up. But like... People always had something. Chaka's voicemail always needed to be cleared. And at a certain point when I got more comfortable and a little more, like, Chaka, this person asked for this. Do you want me to take care of it for you? They need these, like, whatever, glossies of Jay-Z. You want me to send it for you? Like, and it just kept on keeping on. Yeah. Were you signing as Jay-Z's name? No, no, no. <laughs> no, but, like, people might have wanted pictures yeah, or, like, yeah. um, they might have wanted, like, a package of all the artists at the time. It might have been Jay, Bleak, you know, Diamonds in the Rough at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rel, and you know, put together. I would put together the package, and at that time, like you know, there wasn't. I keep on saying, you know, you don't know. <laughs> A lot of these kids don't know. Um, you would have to mail out the vinyl. You would have to mail out the press packages. Everything was very hands on. What was the first time going into a studio session like? My first time going into a studio session wasn't actually at Rockefeller that I remember. Like I was friends with a lot of different artists and creative people. The first time I ever remember seeing anyone actually physically record, and I was like, wow, who know there were this many pieces to a puzzle when you pop in a cassette tape or a CD or a piece of vinyl. The first time I remember being in the studio was with um, ODB. Whoa. Yeah. And it was the End Please album. Whoa. And it, he like was very different with the way he would work. And I remember being like inspired, like, wow, this is crazy. Like there's literally like someone over here on the boards. There's literally like one person that's coming in to do runs for like his beer or his food. There's another person here that's managing him. It was just so interesting to me. And I already knew about like the video production 
side and film production or whatever because I was on set since I was a kid. But that side of things was like, oh, wow. Like, this is how a song gets recorded. And you do this for every. But even when he's finished here, they still have to piece it together. And later on, you have to mix it, which is like mastering film footage. It was just like, whoa. (laughs) But you just didn't see a lot of women on that side of things. Whereas I felt like on video sets, the casting director a lot of time was a woman, whether it was Millicent, Diane Foster, or there was this other lady named Tracy Moore. But even on movies, it was like Sylvia Faye and a lot of women. Um, In the studio, I didn't really see at that time. Were you there later on when uh, Damon signed ODB? Big Baby Jesus, right? Yeah. 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 I was. Whoa. Was that like just a a funny sort of circle? circle. Yeah. I told him that it was full circle um, because I feel like all the different friendships I had in life helped me like steer, like helped me in this journey. And like the same way he inspired me, I was able to then be there later on in life and be there as a friend. And I remember him being like, what label do you think I should go to? Like, what do you think I should do when he was away that time? Because he had like a lot of different like away time, like in jail and different institutions or whatever. Damon in a lot of ways reminded me of RZA. And when I first came into the business or was trying to get in. Rizza was like the first genius to me that he got this group of like 12 guys, got them all separate deals, started a clothing line. Like Wu Wear was here before Sean John or Rockaware. And to me, Damon had the clothing line. Damon had the movie companies. Like he had all the movies coming out. Damon was like, a vi- is still a visionary. Mm-hmm. And I remember like sitting with Dirty, Unique, Asan right before he came out, like, what do you think I should do? And I was like, with all the dreams and all the things you want to accomplish, Mm. this is the place to be. While you're an intern, while you're the receptionist, what are some of the most, like, mundane things that you had to do? Did you get coffee for anybody? Did you... I still get coffee for people now. (laughs) Are you kidding me? If we're on set, I'm still running to get somebody hot chocolate. (laughs) Yes. Like, What what was one thing that Damon really, like, liked? One thing that Damon really enforced before volume two came out was I had to answer all 13 lines with volume two hard knock life in store September. (laughs) I would answer my house phone with that in the middle of the night. (laughs) And sometimes would argue with me as I was answering the 13 lines and say, you didn't say it. I did say it, Damon. I did. did." (laughs) But that was one of his things and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. It instilled it in Everyone that called, whether it was the Chinese food delivery, <laughs> UPS. How is how is so much passion? It's so passionate and fights so hard. How was Biggs back then? Oh my God, <laughs> Biggs! I'm sure you guys have heard this before. He was like the silent partner, so Biggs was coming around. Somebody was getting clipped. <laughs> so one time he came in and it was just like it was like a Friday evening, and I was just like. Who, what, what if I'm on the chopping block? Did I come 15 minutes late this morning because the train was late? Like, ah, it was like the anxiety. And like, he called me over to the side or the corner office that Al Branch and Omi shared. And he was on the couch in there. And I was the receptionist. So he calls me, he's like, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. And he talked really low. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is my last day. What I do? Did I forget to say volume two. And I'm like, no. Like, why don't they just have like chakras or something? Like, does it have to be like this? And he whispered something to me. I was like, excuse me? Because at this point, the voices in my head are. And all he wanted was sound scan. 
He just needed the sound scan that came out every Wednesday, but I think it was like a Friday, so I didn't think that's what he was going to ask me for, but he just wanted the printout. Did you love everyone on Rockefeller Records at the time? Were you big fans of everyone, all the artists? When I came to Rockefeller, I loved Christian. Oh. Um, I was a backpacker. Yeah. So I liked Mostep, Talib Kweli, RZA, um, Dead Prez, Killer Priest, mm-hmm. Common. Who did I love? Yeah. Nas? Yeah. yeah so, Nas. so did that, I mean, did so you... So I came there not necessarily for the musical aspects, because to me, at that time, before I really studied Jay-Z... I wasn't, to me, he was like a champagne popper. Right. But they had a record label and a management company in one. And it's funny, like, how God works. Because I thought I knew what I needed and wanted. Hmm. And I would have given, like, my left hand to go work for RZA. But, like, God put me there. And eventually, like, one day I was, like, typing up lyrics. I think it was for volume one. It was a song, If I Should Die, mm-hmm. Don't Cry. Mm-hmm. And Lenny had the lyric. I think it was Lenny. It might have been hip hop. Gave me the lyrics and I had to type it up. And I was like reading it and it was like a few lines. I could look it up now. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> he's kind of deep. Yeah. And so like the whole like thought of what I thought Jay-Z was, was not like what it really was. And then once I got to see the lyrics and just, you know, like it was just like an epiphany at that point. Like, oh, how do you get involved with the state property house? (laughs) Shaka (laughs) Pilgrim. (laughs) Shaka Pilgrim was head of film at that point. She was like head of film, head of video, head of marketing. Like Shaka did everything. Um, And I want to say Chaka was like one of the producers on state property, too. And my job was to make sure all of the guys from state property got to set every day. And got back to the house afterwards and um, brought what they were supposed to. If there was wardrobe, knew their lines. Oh, and you're the RZA of state property. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, were the state property guys interested in going to set every day and coming straight home? Like, who put these? <laughs> no, not coming straight, but like making sure we got back to the house so that they can then go to the studio, mm-hmm. then come back. Um, and the first few days, I remember like... Beans was like the leader of the pack, and they came a little late. And it was a Lionsgate production. It's not the same thing as a music video where, oh, well, we don't really need this scene. We needed all the scenes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I don't know at what point, if it was the second day or the third day, but I remember my job was also to call Sadiq, who was managing Beanie Siegel at the time, or Roller, and, like, track them and make sure they... <laughs> And I remember at a certain point, like, because it would be hours, and I'm just still like, are you really on the way now? Because the apartment was in Jersey City on, like, Steuben Street. You know who actually was living there at one point? Um, Dan. Oh. Salamito? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Daniel. Oh, Glo- yeah. Glo- Glo- yeah. Glo- yeah. They had an apartment, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. It was yeah. in the same building. Oh, crazy. So it was a duplex four-bedroom apartment in Jersey City, and we were shooting. A lot of state property was in Patterson and other parts of Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, Sadiq, are you guys sure you're on your way? Are you really on your way? But by like the second or third day, like Shaka was like, you got to go over there. And you just got to stay there. And you got to get them together. And I lived in Lower East Side. <laughs> like, I didn't know how to drive then either. Yeah. Still don't know how to drive. There was no way to get on, like, on the PATH train. Like, if the car service for me to go, there was no Uber at the time. The right. car service would have been more. So I ended up having to like camp out. <laughs> 
Chaka said it was all beards and and Muslim oils. And I have the fake no shit. Like I had this idea in my head that they all knew each other and they were all from different parts of Philly. So I come to this house. Beans's brother Newsy became my best friend. And just figured it out. Like, one day at a time. I want to say the first night I was there, Sadiq might not have been in his room. He went back to Philadelphia. So I was in his room. Another night, I was, like, on a futon mattress in, like, the hallway with Newsy splitting, like, the floor between him and me. Like, he had one mattress I did. One night, I remember, like, Beans going to sleep, like, on the balcony. (laughs) Like, it was just an experience. Who was the best roommate and who was the worst roommate? I think that dependent on the day, honestly, because we all went through our ins and outs. And I'm sure I had my shit with me or my moody days. Where I was just like, I don't want to, you know what I mean? Or it's that time of the month and I'm in a house full of dudes. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Beans was amazing because you know what Beans, people don't know about Beans? He can cook. Oh, really? He's a chef. Like, that man knows how to make dishes, <laughs> ribs. Like, he cooks. Wow. And, like, he's actually, like, really, like, organized and clean you would like people judge people and think oh they're probably a bunch of slobs and i probably was messier than them you know what i mean (laughs) Mm -hmm. like so everybody had their like own gifts everybody was like just like everybody had like their gifts and like good things and we all pulled together not to say that we never got into arguments no no, but i more meant like you know if somebody was like messy or if somebody was like one time somebody brought like company And I was like, we cannot do this. <laughs> we can't have company. Are you crazy? If everyone brings company, then Julie d- jewelry disappears. How are you going to figure it out? Then it's a whole problem and I'm in this house. I don't want to die like this. And it was just like, one of the members had brought company and I come out from my, like, my bath after like a 14 hour day and I'm in my pajamas. I'm listening to Prince with my boom box. And I'm like going to wherever my bed is gonna be for this day mm-hmm. like and i'm like getting ready to unwind and it's like i would have like a couple of hours while beans would go to like the studio and record and then he might come back at midnight or two in the morning and at that point i might wake up and then we go over his lines together and i would like pretend to be one of the other members and then he and that was our system i come out and said person <laughs> has some company on the couch <laughs> and she's not like from the movie <laughs> and i'm just like <laughs> what's happening i thought we all had a rule like what if i start bringing guys or my homegirls over like it's gonna become like this is gonna get a little crazy like right. i'm not gonna be able to sleep right and where does it stop what if she brings a friend like what's gonna happen this is crazy just spiraling out but of control I'm like, yes, though, i'm spiraling like by the way my last name is cuny panicker i panic always and i don't even know this member really well from i don't know any of these guys like right I'm getting to know them. It's like a reality yeah. show. Exactly. It's like Yo, real if world. If they would have had a camera then, oh my God. So it's just like, hello? Like, it's really happening. So when Beans comes home that night, I'm just like, hello? Knock, knock. Um, such and such has someone over here. And I just think this is like not a good idea because if everyone starts bringing people over and like your jewelry is in your room and I just, this just doesn't feel right. Like, and he's like, well, you should talk to him about it. I'm like, no, you're the person in charge. You're like the leader of the group. Like, right. He was like, no, you're going to have to talk to him. And I was like, what? And I went to talk. I probably wasn't really diplomatic the next day. I, you know, I wasn't as experienced. I probably was like 20 something and I probably sounded bossy and it didn't go well 
And then that person ended up getting like a hotel room through Lionsgate for wow. like the rest of the days. Wow. Um, Wait, the girl to- or the guy? Both. <laughs> no, the guy like who was like part of the cast yeah, 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 ended yeah, yeah, up yeah. getting like, yeah. And then I don't know what happened to the girl. I don't even remember what exactly happened now. then. No, 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 no. Um. <laughs> And then in my in the back of my brain, I'm like, oh well, you said you didn't want to be an assistant for the rest of your life. You didn't want to be the receptionist for the rest of your life. So this is what comes with that, you know? Yeah. Like Manny, you don't want to be making appointments and answering 13 phone lines. Look, you wanted to be a big dog. This is, like, this is part of it, Manny. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You gonna let him have company and maybe your sneakers walk out of here? Like, what are you gonna do? What are your first memories about Kevin Hart? Damon casted Kevin Hart in Paper Soldiers. With Capone. And it's like another moment in time where like Chaka Damon like saw like the vision in Kevin Hart, this comedian from Philly. Like where did we actually meet Kevin Hart? I feel like it was at like one of those comedy shows downtown mm-hmm. on Third Street. Not the comedy Boston Comedy Club, but the other one that you go downstairs. Yeah. And I feel like Shaka and I had like been like running around the city to different like comedy clubs to like seek out new talent. Just for different projects? Yeah, like Damon had like mad projects. He had so many projects going on at one time. Um, it's like the minute you finished one, it was on to Paper Soldiers, State Property 2. But when you really look at it, it's like State Property 1 like was so real. And even though there was a script, it did not feel scripted because of the 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 realness with like the philly slang like like in the way they were the same with like Peyton Bull was like amazing i just rewatched it for the first time like since it came out like wow. the other night and it's just like to me i feel like damon was like one of the first people to do it like that where it felt so true to life like slice of life are there any cameos um that really like stick out to you that mean something in the movies From or like movies, in yeah. general. Yeah. Well, Cam wasn't a cameo. He was like the star, but like yeah. for Damon even to know that like or Cam Nori would be amazing. Yeah. Nori was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Gino recently posted something and where he was like that basically like he said that Damon and I were like, just do you like hmm. take this and like remix it to whatever you because that's the way it's going to feel the Ross on camera or whatever. But it's also so you're not looking at the person like. Dog, you just memorized that. It feels so phony. I don't believe you. Right, right. Um, but like, like Cam, like Cam hadn't acted in a bunch of stuff, and like Damon knew he would play a great Alpo, and like yeah. Cam bodied that. Yeah. Like to this day, you can still watch, and it's just like, yo, you killed that. But you're like alongside Makai Pfeiffer, yeah. like Wood Harris at the time. When did you uh, first meet the Diplomats? I had met. I don't even know if I actually met Cam like before they actually signed to. Rockefeller because I had worked on horse and carriage and three five seven. I was a police officer in those videos. What? Wait, you can be seen in them? What? Like Manny. <laughs> Wait, you played a, a police officer in both videos? Yeah, there was like there was this like narrative <laughs> in those videos with Cam and Mace. Oh, what was your was character's actually, name? No, no, no. Like I did like it's not like a speaking part. Like I you would see me like wipe across the street green for like yeah. half a second. Well I didn't know if you put like thought into your own character. No, I like really had like a police officer uniform. There were like four or five of us. Melicent had casted it, if I'm not mistaken. And it was one of those jobs. I wasn't working on a movie during those days. Melicent had cash. I feel like Un might have directed those videos. Uh-huh. So um that was the first time I was around um 
cam dipset and then i officially like met them all when they came to rockefeller yeah and how was that when they came to rockefeller dipset number one was like so fly they had a whole different energy than like jay-z from marcy projects and the whole brooklyn vibe um and they were so dope too just like state property it was like jim wanted to direct kim could rap his ass off joelle's was young the youngin um and it was just like a whole like burst of energy and like a whole other like chapter of like i learned so much working with them do you remember the first time you flew in a private jet yeah, the first time I flew on a private jet was right after 9-11. 9-11 happened, and we were supposed to be shooting Jay-Z Girls, Girls, Girls that day. Mm-hmm. We didn't shoot it. Um, and I got on a private plane with Jay Damon Biggs Freeway. I'm probably forgetting some people. I'm blanking right now. But it was like surreal because at that point I went and I was living with my mom again in Lower East Side. So I went from the private jet to the car service back to our Section 8 apartment in Lower East Side. Like where my bedroom window used to be able to see the Twin Towers, the World Trade. And was no longer there. It just like smelled like death and like smoke and just weird when I came back on my block. And it was a few weeks after um, Aaliyah passed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just a real dark couple of months. Do you have any memories of Aaliyah? Yo, Aaliyah was so funny, so sweet, so beautiful, stylish, graceful, and like a jokester as well. Like, I used to be trapped in the office like Shari and Carly a lot of times like late. And I was in a cubicle at 825 8th Avenue at the time. I was Shaka's assistant, and I would help her coordinate, like, her marketing stuff and video and film. So I was in the office late. My cubicle was right outside of Carlene's, like, half of an office that you went into to then go into Damon's office. So Carlene was in there late. I was at my desk late, and I get this call. And sometimes I would still get these, like, receptionist calls, even though we had, like, a receptionist. Like, I would still get these, like, weird calls for, like, Jay-Z bookings or something. And this person called at like eight or nine o'clock at night and they sounded like they were either a child or mentally challenged and they wanted to book Jay-Z. So I'm telling the person to call back during business hours from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and ask for Carlene Ballon and call this number. It was like 212-445. (laughs) And like the person is like, keep on asking me like the person kept on asking me to like repeat and then just kept on running me around in circles and i was like listen you just have to call back during business hours and you have to ask for carlene and but do you think jay-z is going to be able to do this and it was just like and then finally i was like listen miss miss hello like Like, and i remember being like you are hilarious this is not funny i'm trying to go home right now but i remember cracking up and carlene was in her office it was probably like eight or eight. I was like, you set this up. <laughs> and I'm over here. I don't want to transfer them because I know Carlene doesn't want the call now. You couldn't just like, I don't think you. I was able to like send the person straight to her voice. And I didn't want to be mean. Because right. like, what if this person really wants Jay-Z? And what if they're mentally challenged? Is that the right way to call yeah. it now? Mm-hmm. Like, she was dope as hell. That's like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is another like symbol or like human example of like, you can be big and famous and still be a kind person. 
like and still be humble sweet funny like what do you remember about the girls 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 shoot that you did do oh my gosh i just remember being in like a weird space because like the twin towers just got bombed and um half of like the cast that was going to be in the girls 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 video was like trapped and couldn't even like make it to the shoot michael jackson was was he supposed to be there or no? I don't remember okay. that at all. Um, and um, it's a- but but I want to say that Jay had brought Michael Jackson out for Summer Jam that year earlier in the year from during H to the Izzo, mm-hmm. and I remember I remember being backstage at Summer Jam during that moment, and um, Chaka had me getting cameos for H to the Izzo backstage at Summer Jam. So I had like a camera crew and the boom box with the H to the Izzo CD in it. And my job was to go get like the Beyonce. I got like a Destiny's Child cameo and Andre 3000. I was going to the different rooms and getting people to do like the hook. Whoa. When you look at that video and I don't think I knew that Michael Jackson was coming. We just all knew something was going on. Like, and I remember we didn't have enough wristbands to like get backstage at Summer Jam. But like Bleak, Omi, myself, and Chaka, like, were in the shuttle van from the hotel to the venue. But we had like ten wristbands for like twenty of us. But I knew like all the security everywhere from like the club days and the club security would be the the venue security at times and i remember like chalking myself i think eve was there too i'm not sure who exactly was on that but we like cut them and taped the bands (laughs) so i had like three thirds of a band like three (laughs) three, like pieces of different bands that i taped together but i was like if i put the clear tape and i put my sleeve over and then i put like the the clothes over that and i like hustle my way in behind like jay and bleak (laughs) Like, I might be able, I might get stopped and we're going to have to figure something else out. But, like, we figured it out. And it's like, I'm running to get, like, an Andre 3000 is one of my favorite rappers at the time, still is. And I'm getting these cameos. I want to say, like, Breadman was there and Method Man. I'm getting the cameos. And then I take a moment to, like, pause and, like, breathe. And it's like Michael Jackson's passing by with, like, 50 (laughs) Secret Service people. And it's just like, oh, I don't care if I hadn't slept for like four days and was only on two or three hours of sleep. If my phone had just gotten, it's like, oh, oh, oh. Eric, do you hear that? Uh, I don't know, maybe. It's everything falling off the shelves because there is a clearance going on over here at itsthereal.com slash shop. All the t-shirts are moving. All of the sweatshirts are moving. All of our rhyme books are going out the door. (laughs) Everything is falling apart, including the Christmas wrapping on all your presents this holiday season. There is a hole in the wall. (laughs) Go to itsthereal.com slash shop. Get these last few things before they fall out the door. Our apartment is on tilt right now. The block <laughs> is on fire. Go to itsthereal.com slash shop and call 911 because our apartment is on fire with deals today. <laughs> and now back to Emmanuel. Do you have any good Memphis Bleak stories? My first video shoot I went on for Rockefeller was Memphis Bleak is, and I want to say it had to be two or three hundred thousand dollars. And it was like Bleak's first video. Wow. And I want to say Darren Grant directed it. Wow. Yo, <laughs> one thing about Bleak, Bleak is always on time. Like, he was the first artist I had ever worked with. And mind you, like, my first He's video He's the opposite of Beanie Siegel. 
not. Beans got better with time. In time. In the beginning, you know, different, different, different paths. But Bleak, if his call time was 8 a.m. or 7 a.m., he was there at 7 a.m. And to this day, like, I don't care what it is. Like, a few years ago, I went with Bleak to go get an emergency passport because... Like, someone remembered that I knew where to get it at Rockefeller Center. You can get a passport within 24 hours. So, Bleak called me. And we lived not too far from each other. Like, at the time, we lived in, um, he lived, some like, not too far from Hackensack. And that's where I lived. Mm -hmm. And he called me. He was like, yo, E, I heard you know where to get the passport. The passport. I'm like, yeah, no. It's, like, right there in Rockefeller Center. But it's, like, this little booth kiosk thing. It's hard to explain. Like, you literally have to take the person there. And he was like, can you come meet me or whatever? And, like, I remember the next day, like, we were supposed to meet at like 9 a.m. And he pulled up at like 8.55. Wow. You know? And Bleak, always on time, works hard, consistent, and just another stand-up person. Mm. Like, hasn't changed a bit. Like, if TV changed, he changed for the better, what I mean. Like, mm -hmm. never switched up. Like, we grew up together pretty much over there. Like, What's a Rockefeller video that you're, like, especially proud of? Um, Kanye West All Falls Down and Kanye West Jesus Walks the Chris Milk version. Was All Falls Down in Toronto or something? No, no, or it was in the airport in um, Cali, but it wasn't Burbank or LAX. It was that other one, like in Ontario or San Bernardino. Like it was oh. in some small airport, which was the only one we could get to like lock down and actually shoot. Hmm. And at the time, like he wasn't like people weren't like banging down our door to shoot videos for him that's like, stacy dash stacy yeah. dash was his girlfriend in mm -hmm. it. yeah and it was in the airport and it was all from his point of view the only time you saw him was in the glass of the car in the mirror did did he came up with that concept did chris milk direct that one too yes. yeah chris milk was signed to radical media dave myers had introduced me to him um kanye had a wish list of directors that did not write and then we went i got a whole other list of directors that were up and coming and a bunch of reels i can't remember if i sent it to him on a three-quarter or if they were dvds or vhs tapes of reels but i sent him i shipped a whole bunch of reels didn't tell him which ones i liked hmm. so he wouldn't like yeah it wouldn't color his vision yeah and i don't like coloring people's vision like i didn't want to taint anything or whatever i sent him the whole thing but i put a post-it on chris milks because he had like a chemical romance video i think at the hmm. time and everything else was commercials but he had like a dope like nintendo commercial it just was dope um and yay came to the office or called me a few days later and he was like i really like this chris milk guy and radicals having like a meeting that like i crashed to introduce dave and chris milk to kanye like we crashed it at like they were at like the viceroy in santa monica Whoa. And I was good friends with Jen Heath, also Jen Amreen Heath, who worked with Chris Milk and Dave Myers. And it was just like, hey, hey, they're over here. I just want you to meet him. Because my whole thing was if Kanye and Chris Milk, no matter how dope, he, how talented Chris Milk could be and how dope Kanye could be, if they didn't vibe and have like a certain energy together, if it didn't mix, there's no point in this. Mm -hmm. There was no point in going further down the road. But they clicked. It was like a match made in heaven. Who's somebody that doesn't get enough credit at, at Rockefeller? So many people don't get enough credit. Like Bobby Dash, Garvin Stewart, Bert. Mm. Um, Lenny's best friend. 
Lenny, Lenny, Hop, F Sharp, Farrell. Like, I would have to, like, literally go back to, like, those pictures from those days because, like, we grinded it out. There was another guy, Rob Carroza, Pastogi. There was another Rob, Rob Young. Like, I feel that without all of us pulling together, there would not be everything that exists now. Shaka Omidara, Carlene, like those were like women of color that were like killing it and like working and like busting their asses every day. Like I would go ask them for work and they didn't have to give me work. They didn't have to give me anything to do, like, but they took me under their wing. Under wing. their wing, yeah. Yep. I'm a little scattered. <laughs> How um, do you say wing in French? Elle. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think of the things in French and then I have a hard time translating it. Um, you know, another person that didn't get enough credit and used to bark on me at least once every two to three <laughs> weeks about different things, but helped me to become a better person mm -hmm. was Al Branch. Shout out to Al Branch. Al Branch was the general manager at um, Rockefeller Records. And I remember one day... I had left the front desk to go get a coat for a mill for the tour, for like the Hard Knock Life tour, was it? And I left the, 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 the receptionist post with like an intern who then left the post. And I was like, <laughs> what happens on Friday? And I was like, I went to go get the coat for a mill. <laughs> and I left, I think the intern's name was Samantha, maybe at the time. And Samantha was there, but apparently Samantha had left the phone. So when 10 o'clock Monday morning came, Al called and I was like, he was like, what happened? And he was like, you're the bus driver and you left the bus. And the bus <laughs> goes down. I was like, sorry, but I really didn't want to be stuck answering phones for the rest of my life. And Chaka needed help. Yeah. And that was more exciting at the moment. <laughs> I don't want to forget anybody because Tone Hooker mm -hmm. was there too. Yeah. Tone Hooker came up with the name Rockefeller. Yeah. yeah. So at the end of, of Rockefeller Records, um, did you have a feeling that, that things had sort of like drifted apart? Honestly, like I was one of those people that was always putting my head down and working. You feel certain things, but then you don't really pay attention because there's so much more that needs to be done. And like, you would feel certain things, but like, hey, maybe it's just a rocky week. Maybe there's some internal stuff that I don't know about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just keep it moving. It's like, I still have to go reshoot Jesus Walks. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my God. We thought Michael Hausman was the one at the time. Like, he, this is who Ye wanted. We got him. And at the time that all this was going on, that I specifically got the call that I was not going to be working at Rockefeller anymore from Uncle Carlton, who was Damon's uncle, and that I was going to, as of the next week or two, be working for Rock Aware. I was getting ready to do the second version of Jesus Walks and I was at the Sofitel Hotel. I remember the call and I was just like, and I remember telling Uncle Carlton, like, Uncle Carlton, I don't want to work in clothing. I like music. I came here to work at a record label. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What did he mean? Basically, there were a few of us, Shari, Osa, myself, Anthony Drakeford, John Bartleson mm -hmm. that were moved from Rockefeller Records and Rockefeller's overhead into Rock Aware. And Osa Shari and I became entertainment marketing managers at Rock Aware. But we were still working with like all of Damon's brands. Like, and what did that mean your day to day was like? So um, when we started working at Rock Aware, we were put into a space together with our desks and 
I remember us having to figure out product placement in video, like with different people's like photo shoots. Like, and for me, I remember like Shari and I used to make sure like people have rock aware packages or state property. Like if you look at the TI bring them out video, he's wearing a black leather bomber, a rock aware one. And that was something I want to say I had connected with Jason about the video, but I wasn't in the office and Shari actually put like that order together and picked out clothes and then we shipped it over and it made it into, wow. it was like product placement before product placement. Like, yeah. How yeah. much Rockaware do you own now? I still have like a couple of pieces I feel like in storage mm-hmm. and my mom still wears like a lot of <laughs> the jacket. Do you have any S. Carters? In my mom's house. My mom like thought they were the most comfortable. Mm-hmm shoe in the world i got rid of a bunch of stuff because like i didn't want to become a hoarder (laughs) (laughs) but i like recently found like the um there was like a a jay-z phone at one point like the blue oh yeah 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 Yeah. and then i found something else that was like a rock ipod or rock pot something that damon had made he like was definitely like a lot of visionary ideas and ahead of the cusp and the wave how long do you stay at rockaware it was over six months and under a year I was once again getting moved. Like Damon was like, okay, Emmanuel, now I'm going to move you. And once again, it's like me and a couple of staff members. And he's like, I'm going to move you to Dame Dash Music Group. But at the point that I'd gotten to Rockaware and I was doing the entertainment marketing manager stuff, I had also figured out other side hustles where I was consulting people and still like helping people with videos and helping to consult a couple of different people that were on the come up. And when he was like, we're moving you again, I was just like, no. I was like, I don't wanna be moved. I was like, I need a moment. Because at the time there was just like a lot of different things happening. And I don't remember what year it was. It might've been 2004 or or five. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there was just like a lot of different things happening. And I had just like bought a condo in Jersey like a year or two before, which is why I had figured out other side hustles to get money to be able to pay. I'd gotten this condo and gotten approved for it, but I technically didn't really make enough money after taxes to pay for like the mortgage, the maintenance and like my PSENG or Con Ed, as you Mm -hmm. call it. Like, so when he was like, I'm going to move you again. It was just like, wait a minute. I need a moment because I really just needed to get like my thoughts together and figure out what I wanted to do next. And he was like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go work with Dame Dash Films? Do you want to work with Armadale? Like I have an umbrella of things and I just couldn't. I just got stuck. So you're freelancing with Bun B and Killer Mike and... Kanye West. Kanye would have different stuff that I would have to do at the time. Common was signed to him. So one day it was like, hey, can you help organize this party for Common? It was just different things. He had good films, good music films as well. Mm -hmm. It was just just these different things. Like he might have been directing the Common video. Something went wrong on that set. So now I'm going over there to help him resolve what wasn't right there. it was all these different things. And then like when Kanye actually would have his own videos that were through Rockefeller slash, slash Def Jam, like Diamonds Are Forever, the commissioner there, Margot, would hire me as a freelancer. So I did like Diamonds Are Forever, Touch the Sky, which was in the Grand Canyon. And um, Wait, yeah, that video had to be nuts. Yeah, that was like three days in the Grand Canyon. That's how I met Lupe Fiasco. Lupe, um, it was Pam Kanye, Anderson? Yes. Yeah. Um, Tracy Ellis Ross, Nia Long. I love Tracy Ellis Ross. Yeah. She's 
ray of sunshine. <laughs> were permits just like ridiculous in the Grand Canyon? I can't even remember oh. <laughs> that part, honestly. It seems just like... Had you ever been to the Grand Canyon before? Never in life had I. Like, it was like a dream come true. And I remember like the first day... I went with the international marketing lady from Def Jam. I think her name was Cheryl Braji. Yeah. We went to the Grand Canyon. We got lost on the way, but apparently the water truck had gotten lost too and oh never God. made it to set, so oh. they never filmed the first day. Oh, God. Yeah. I Not don't remember great. that much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so she and I slept at like a days in in the Grand Canyon. There's not a lot of wrong. great, like, hotel yeah, options. Yeah, because we were like, we're not going back over to Vegas. Forget <laughs> it. Like, because it's scary. Forget it. We'll just stay here, and then we'll figure it out in the morning. Because I don't... Well, I want to say there wasn't great cell service. Oh, there's and there not, were, no. There yeah. weren't, like, navigational things. Like, oh. there aren't... There, yeah, no. there were not as many tools. So if you were lost, you were just lost. You were fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't get a hold of any... So, Tompi in French, like, too bad. Yeah. Um, And... There was like one or two set phones that you had to like, it was like a big block phone and you had to go stand on top of the motor home. Oh like, my God. The ladder. <laughs> Use the phone. So I hope you really need to make this phone go off. Do you know what it was like for Kanye to be at the Grand Canyon? Or like anybody else? Like how they felt? I feel like for everyone it was like a dream come true because with Ye, it's like he got his wish list of women that are in it. We're in the Grand Canyon. We're shooting multiple days. You're getting in a helicopter each day from Vegas to here. So you still have all your amenities. And like at that point, he's popping. Mm-hmm. Ye is a superstar. Yeah. So when you think about like the journey from his cameo in H to the Izzo video with Dave Myers, where he has yeah, like the, the tattoo mm-hmm. with the hits still be like with all the things in. that yeah. he just produced or whatever, yeah. and like the truth is on there or the reason, like no, the truth. Yeah. Um, to go from that and all falls down where people were not banging down my door to go write for him, and I'm like, please, guys, he's different. Like, just listen to his lyrics and. He stands for something else. He's not your typical flossy, I'm rich rapper rapping about designer brands. Not yet. Incessantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he was still the Louis Vuitton. Yeah. But it's yeah. just like he was just different. He's a breath of fresh air to go from that where you're like fighting, fighting, fighting for the underdog. And then like now we're here at Touch the Sky. Priority. Yeah. You got Nia Long, <laughs> Tracy Ellis Ross, Pamela Anderson Lee. <laughs> trailers lupe fiasco who's like on the rise but he's from chicago just blaze mm-hmm. helicopters <laughs> water <Yeah>. trucks yeah <laughs> lights <laughs> think about it through the wire was something like that he did on his own yeah. like yeah. with cootie and chike like here my friends from chicago follow me around we're gonna edit together and like dude yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you put three years of real hard work in as a freelance. Yes. Like I was on the road more than I was in my house. So how does Atlantic come to you with the opportunity? At a certain point, I was like the person commissioning everything for their like priorities. So it was like T.I., the whole Grand Hustle Squad. It was Lupe Fiasco, mm. who was booming. Mm-hmm. I met Lupe, I want to say, after Kick Push when we did Touch the Sky and I became friends with Jason Salvador and then Chill. And... Another lady named Yolanda Geralds that was head of the video department at Atlantic did, um, I want to say, Daydreaming with Jill Scott. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I came in right after her. Wow. And so we're talking, Lior is there, like Warner Music Group. Yes. Um, Kevin Lyles is there, yep. Warner Music Group. 
2008, I'm freelancing. They asked me to come work there. Like, James Lopez at one point extended um, an offer to me to possibly become a product manager there. Wow. Yeah. Shout out to James Lopez. Yes. He's killing it James in Lopez. Hollywood. Yeah. Did all of, like, the TI marketing, and, like, he was the head of marketing at the time. Why did you turn it down? After Rockefeller, I was kind of scared to work for one company again and, like, nervous to be in one place because it's just, like, it felt like, do I ever want to put all my eggs in one basket again? So it was James Lopez, and at another point, Livia Tortella mm. was trying to bring me on staff. And then the third time was when Sazzle was the head of the department, and that was in around May or June 2008. And he was like, would you consider coming to work here full time? And once again, for whatever reason, God was like, I was like, um, what would that look like? <laughs> what would my days be like? Because it was just like after freelancing for three years and getting to be so creative and not having to deal with politics. It's like, do you expect me to sit still at my desk every day that I'm not on set from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. because that's going to suck me dry. Hmm. Like, and like when I first got there, there were like a lot of times, even now, sometimes I function better in like a coffee shop or a tea house or a park bench to figure out solutions than I do like in my office in front of a computer screen. Mm. Yeah. And I just was like, what would that look like? And we talked about it for a few weeks and then I started in June 2008 full time. Who has been um, someone who's been there just as long as you have that's meant like, the world to you to get through all the craziness of the Atlantic Records office. Like my rock over there, like my best friend, like through the whole thing, Sydney Margitson. Like he's just a beautiful human being and has been there through everything and is like a consistent person, like a good soul and has been very supportive through everything in life. And he's been like, there as long as you have, like the entire time. Longer, longer yeah. He's been there longer than me. Deani Harper's been there. Mm -hmm. Julie Greenwald, Phil yep. Body. Mm -hmm. But the person that I'm like the closest to and has been there like every day, every step of the way that like we're over there when people are doing jail bids. Yeah. We're going yeah. to visit T.I. in Arkansas together mm. over a weekend. We, he encouraged me to start exercising. We then did half marathons and marathons together. And now he keeps doing marathons. Yes. <laughs> That's the real problem. Like, That's we, we went need, from like- We getting, need to talk to uh, Sid about like, that. Yeah, we went from like getting ready to plan like burger conventions to like <laughs> yeah. marathons all over the world. Like he went to run in like Paris and I went with my mom. I tagged along with my mom. I didn't run in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> How was your French in Paris? My French is like still- bon? uh, it's so fluent. Yeah. Okay, you just like proved it. I know. Yeah. 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 I was like, bon. And I speak and it like, with yeah, a French I mean, accent. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually put Phoenix in a French daycare here. Phoenix is my baby girl. Can you talk about what Julie Greenwald means as a leader? Yo, Julie is great. She's a genius. Um, She is empowering, supportive, as like a woman, she shows you that you can be a mother and a wife and a good mother and a wife and also an executive and run things. She is blatantly like honest and raw, but gets it like she's an innovator. Um, But she's also like your mom or sister at times. Like when my daughter had a stroke, Julie was at my hospital bed the next morning at like nine in the morning 
like, Manny, what's going on? <laughs> Manny, are you really walking around two days after a C-section? Are you crazy? <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> like, um, And by the way, people should know that a year later, your daughter's doing quite well. Yes, my daughter <laughs> had no deficits. Thank right. you, God. Yeah. Apparently, a lot of babies have strokes. Who knew? Mm-hmm. But like all that to say... I don't even know how to like put this all in one like because I'm gonna start crying. Hmm. I know no other woman like her like, and she works so hard. She isn't afraid. She's fearless. She's not afraid to try new things. Like a lot of people, like in the business, it's like they want to do stuff like you did it in 1982 or three, <laughs> and it's like no. But she also gives like people chances like at Atlantic there is a chance that you can go from intern you if you work hard to assistant to the actual position I can't say that for a lot of companies at Rockefeller it was like that too but like she's also very like compassionate to what we as women go through like she understands it like you if you get pregnant while you're at land i was pregnant like i was on set so i was like nine and a half months pregnant but if i would have been like julie like i gotta cut out with seven months she, my job wouldn't I, I didn't have to worry about getting fired she's like a human being with a heart and to be so shrewd and amazing on the business level but still also be a human being is a feat within itself like you don't really see too many people like her but also that still have that passion like she also has like more backbone and balls than like a lot of the men I know. Like, by the way, you name them. Yeah. <laughs> nope, not doing this. Not doing this with you. <laughs> Can you talk about a few people uh, who who I think mean a lot to you? Marsha Saint Hubert. I love Marsha. <laughs> Marsha works so hard too. The thing with Marsha that's amazingly dope too. A lot of the times, like we'll have like the same thoughts or the same like taste and things so we're not fighting each other and it's so helpful like when people get it like that but like marcia and me would like team up and wait such and such featured rapper doesn't want to come out the trailer you go and distract the security guard and i'm <laughs> gonna go in through the back and it's like marcia's right there we're going to the club or i'm late and the door is shut down marcia's coming through the back door she's not gonna leave you out there like what like we've been through a lot together like, and Marsha was so supportive, like, when I told her I was pregnant. Like, she was like, she got me, like, ginger candies. She got me a book called The Wonder Weeks. And it's small little thoughtful gestures, but it helps you along the way. Like Sherry um, Bryant. Sherry's my sister. Sherry. I'm so proud of Sherry. Like, by the way, I'm cheesing right now. I don't even know where to start with Sherry. <laughs> Sherry was like a little sister to all of us. And somewhere along the way, things have shifted. Now, she's like my sister or like sometimes like my big sister yeah, too. Because yeah. like I'll go to her for advice on <laughs> things like in life or like professional stuff and career. Like Sherry, to me, she's the full package and she shows you that you don't have to be mean you don't have to her and trees like you don't have to be mean you don't have to lie you don't have to stab people in the back just work hard just do what you do work hard keep on pushing no matter what and it will come whatever god wants you to have yeah 
Shari helped me along my journey with God, like to get me like she's her and my other friend Amrick helped me start going to church again because she would go to this church in Harlem, which she still goes to or whatever. And then I started going to it. And like that was another chapter in my life, you know, where it shifted a whole lot of things and helped me make bigger decisions. And just I found like more guidance, like with Shari. It was dope as hell. Latrice Burnett. Love Tracy Poole too. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we were the youngins at Rockefeller, by the way. Now you're all bosses, by <laughs> the way. Tracy's like on street team and would work so hard too. And it was just like, Trees, what do you want to do? And she wanted to do like new media marketing. It wasn't called like digital marketing at the time. <laughs> it was this guy named John.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Barlson. Yes. And I was like, even then, because I started off interning, I would always like, I would like talk to the kids and just be like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Ramsey's like, <laughs> Ramsey's ended up in A&R. Like, and with each, you know, whenever I would have time in between like organizing stuff and coordinating stuff. And Therese definitely had her vision and she went to go work with John.com and killed it. She was like actually the first, I want to say, out of all of us to leave and go to Atlantic. Hmm. And to me, like, that's just, like, such a courageous thing to do. Yeah. Because we were kids. <laughs> You're leaving, like, the only to go over there and do digital marketing. But what if she wouldn't have? Yeah. But yeah. even yeah. watching her and Shari through the years, it's like, they let, Shari has been at multiple companies. And she doesn't change every two or three years. But she, like, makes moves. Yeah. I went to, I was at Rockefeller for, like, eight years. And then I've been at Atlantic, basically, for the next 13 years or whatever like they inspire me on a daily basis okay we need to talk they're about, also beautiful inside and out yeah yeah we need to talk about the young thug video the, the one, one that where he, he didn't, didn't show, show up. up yeah he did show up there was a complication he did show up he was physically there he did not get out of the car to physically get in front of the camera I was traumatized by that whole thing because I never, like, I felt like I failed at my job. Like, I've had rappers come to set and say, no, I'm not shooting it. And I still get 15 minutes out of, like, a little Wayne. Right. Where I'm like, no, just give me two passes, please. The music will be playing. I'm going to have two cameras going. I just need you to do it twice. Yeah. And then I asked for a third time on set. <laughs> it had never happened to me that the person was physically there. Like, I managed to get ODB to show up for an hour on a state property thing and do his raps. You know what I mean? It had never happened to me in life where... You're here, and I just was, it just wasn't able to happen. Um, but, like, yeah, when he fir the first edit, like, <laughs> I felt like the tone just needed to be worked on. But I, the people in my department thought it was, like, amazing. Mm. What about when, uh, I don't know if I can I say who this Raina, was. I remember like, thought it was amazing. Hmm. There was a multi-platinum artist who would not get to set because he didn't want to walk on grass. <laughs> who told you that story? I told you that story? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How did you get that person to walk across no, the grass? No, 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 no. <laughs> I've never walked on grass. Wait, no. Hey, hold on. There were two different situations. No, actually. Yeah. yeah. No, because at one point for one video in Miami did not want to get on a commercial flight. Mm-hmm. Mm. And did not want his feet to touch the concrete. <laughs> and that prepared me for the moment where... Can we keep the thing in or no? I think so. Right, like, right, I think yeah. it's kind of funny. Yeah, I don't it, know. I think that's like, funny. Yeah, because like, yeah, it's think. like things that you go through yeah. as a person in the business where people think you're like sipping pina coladas on set <laughs> and getting a massage. And it's like, no, I'm trying to figure out how to get 
here when his call time is 9 a.m. and it's 7 a.m. and he hasn't gotten on the flight. <laughs> and how I'm going to deliver that news to Terry Heller and everyone here. Like, what? Oh. Um, with um, that multi-platinum artist <laughs> that didn't walk on grass, but we were in the middle of the field because the number, the rapper that this multi-platinum rapper was featured on, the, the number one rapper the night before I decided he wanted to have a stallion in the video. <laughs> so I had to change the location. No, I'm serious. I'm this dead is, serious. Yeah. <laughs> I literally had to change the location at like 6 p.m. the day before, which is pretty impossible in Miami from like a regular location to a stable with horses. Did you end up with the horse? We have the horse. <laughs> the horse is in the video. Was it? <laughs> the did... other person, the other rapper who I love so much mm. at the time, um, didn't walk on grass. <laughs> <laughs> so I had production get tarp from Home Depot oh and a wood, and we built what the walkway. Just figure it out, guys. <laughs> we had to figure it out. Marsha was there. I know. We were there together. Who were some of the most important artists that you've worked with over your time at Atlantic Records? Like the artists that have like really pushed you. And in the end, the 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 video really you know benefited from from their their vision, or if you even want to extend it out to any artist, like in life, yeah. Like I feel like a lot of the different artists that I work with in my life helped me like become who I am today and now. And it started off like maybe working together, but like all of these people like um, either empowered me or saw something in myself that I wasn't able to see at the time. Um, and it ranges like Beanie Siegel when I was at Rockefeller was there for things and stood up and did things that like my own father would not have or has not in life. Like when I was trying to get my mom a house and I possibly needed someone to co-sign for like the mortgage, like Beanie Siegel Beans was there and that was my brother. Wow. Um, and to have that when you don't really have like a father that is like president my dad was in india then amsterdam then all over the place through life and my mom and him broke up at a young age and he wasn't like necessarily a deadbeat but it's different so to have someone like that be there so beans was like really important and like with beans like i learned how to somewhat manage artists because at one point sadiq was his manager but then at another point his mom was his manager so i would team up with his mom and like at rockefeller all of us had our own artists so i had state property minus young guns and Shari had Dipset and Young Guns. Like all of us had, so you learned so much and you learned through trial and error. And like at times like with Beans, I'm the one that's waking him up to go to the state property photo shoot or to go to set. And there were a whole lot of lessons there. But then also Beans would be ready. Like if there was a personal issue going on, like Beans would be ready to like roll out mm -hmm. and ride up and mm -hmm. take care of it. and. By the way, if you don't want that to happen, Manny, like Emmanuel, don't even tell him what's going on. So he that that was a sort certain part of my life with Cam, Dipset, Jim Jones. Like I helped Jim when he first was learning how to like direct, and like that taught me another. Um, it was a whole other set of experience. Jim would see me helping everybody and be like, Manny, you can't keep doing this for free. These people better be paying you. And I'm over there like Mother Teresa, like, no, I'm just helping. I'm just helping. <laughs> but no, like now I have a mortgage. Like I actually do need money to pay my mortgage and maintenance. And actually one thing is late, like the light bill is late this month or the cable's about to get turned off. And he taught me 
that. Um, when I started working closely with Kanye, like even when like I no longer worked at Rockefeller um, full time and him actually being there and being like, hey, can you help me with this? And like just reminding me how smart and diverse I am and creative or whatever. And that was the whole other side of the journey. And even being able to realize like, oh, I believed in him and I had like a small part like in this journey. Like I believe like I was your friend. We believe I believed in you. You told me what you wanted to do and I helped to execute all falls down. At a time when no one was paying attention because everyone was more so paying attention to Jay-Z at the time. He was like the the big wig. Um, So Kanye taught me like work hard no matter what what you believe in like even if no one else can see it you believe in that and you keep on building on that work hard when no one's looking work hard consistently keep pushing 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 you might bust the door down hmm. and with that situation i did and the same people that i called six months before for all falls down were definitely filling up my voicemail after all falls down came out and then jesus walks it's like oh can i please write on a and it's like oh well no chris milk's gonna do the next seven videos you know <laughs> and then from that i went to hype williams so with that yay taught me was a part of that journey or whatever at a certain point i was working with killer mike david banner bun b it was a whole other portion of the journey and with david banner it was more like on a management side of things where i was consulting and i learned a lot there leaving there then it was like ti jason jeter and grand hustle it felt like state property all over again, but in Atlanta. <laughs> so I learned so much through that journey. And then I eventually, you know, I was best friends with Jason Jeter for Lant, and then eventually T.I. And he then became my brother. And him, him and I would say like Beanie Siegel and there are other couple of people in my life, Sydney Margetson, like that were like strong, amazing like men and like good people that helped me like straighten out my path in life with what I was choosing to be romantically involved with. <laughs> you know, like where it's just like, would my best friend do that? Like, so make better decisions. There are people that are morally sound, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I feel like everything is just like a piece along the way. It's like all parts of the journey and parts of the lessons in life. Did you go to Chaka's birthday that Jay and Damon were at together? Yes. Um, that How was meaningful at a, was that? Like rooftop in Brooklyn at a hotel. That night to me, I felt like that was the best birthday present like Chaka could have gotten. It was like such a special night to see them laughing together. It felt like the old days for a few moments. And just to see all of us there from like different eras of Rockefeller in the same place. Yeah, Dara was there. Mm-hmm. Like that was a special night. I think I still have the pictures in that Blackberry of the time. <laughs> I feel like I posted one of the pictures. Did you? Mm-hmm. Mm. It was a special moment just to see them laughing. I was almost scared to take it because <laughs> I was just like, I don't want to interrupt. But then I saw someone else doing it. So I was like, hey, I'm going <laughs> to sneak it. They might still like curse me out for this but oh well <laughs> it's worth the curse out but i don't even think damon or jay even felt that i'm sure you see some people regularly but when when we had our rockefeller thing last year and we were all upstairs in the green room and you saw 
Biggs or Lenny or Hop or the Young Guns or Freeway or Jimmy, um, Wayno, Chaco. Like, what did that? What did that mean to you? For me, every time I see anyone, like like I saw Freeway last week at Meat Mills. There's certain people in life that I feel like you might not see them for six months or a year, but you could just still pick up where you left off. And anytime I see, especially like the ones that are like doing really great and you know what we all came from. Like this was a struggle, you know? And it was like a lot of nights of no sleep. There's still nights of no sleep. Like I get more rest now than I did then, but there were like a lot of birthdays that were missed. A lot of Christmases, a lot of Thanksgivings. It was like a mother's day that I definitely was on a shoot, you know, like rock the mic and all those like state property videos that there were like three that we did with Sanaa Henry. They were all like on a like either Christmas or Thanksgiving weekend. And I remember like Latrice got on the train to Philadelphia and Latrice worked in like digital like but we would all pull together and I feel like Damon came and he saw like Latrice was over there helping like we just would figure it out. There was another girl named Christina like we were just out there like working. Because you realized that this was something bigger than any one of you guys individually? For me, I work off of passion. And, like, I don't really think of, like, why am I doing this? It's just like, no, this is what needs to get done. And, like, when I bonded with Beans on the State Property movie and Oskino, Sparks, Chris and Neef, Freeway came later. Chris and Neef were, like, probably 16 at the time. You form these bonds with these people. They become your brothers and your family. So you're going to do whatever you have to so that everyone's winning and eating. So I I don't think I, like, sat there and thought, like, hey, like, why do I need to go do this? Is it about my career? Or like, it was just like, nah, this is just what we got to do. Yeah. We got to shoot it before Christmas because da is happening. Or it's like, we need these pieces to go up. Or if we don't shoot it by this date, it won't make it to 106 and park. It was just always something to keep pushing. And it's like still what pushes me to this day. If I don't fight for this setup, this video might not be as great as it, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just these like bonds that you build with people where it's not just like a paycheck. It's like, you really have a chance to make a difference in this artist's life, but also in all the lives that this message that this artist is giving changes. Like when you think about somebody like a Kehlani, like the piece of art that she puts out that addresses certain situations might touch 10 little girls in Oakland that are considering suicide or that are depressed or five little girls in Lower East. Like it's just, just like you just go. If you think back now to that, little girl from a single parent house in the section eight area on the lower east side went to a french school that she was just you know buried under a lot of weight at skipped a grade you ever think back and and consider how far she's come and all the work that she's made happen in new Mm -hmm. york just to make this cross-country move that she's about to make Mm -mm. No, I don't really think about that. Like yesterday, I was like thinking about the fact that like I came from that. I guess I sort of did. Like I, I was a Section Eight baby. Uh, we were on Wick, like Wick or whatever. Um, and now my baby doesn't live in Section Eight. Like I was thinking about that like this morning. I was like, she doesn't live. We don't live on Section Eight, so I broke the cycle. But I don't really sit and think too much about that because I feel like there's so much more that needs to be done. I have so much more to do. And I don't know if that's like backwards or not, but like sometimes I do think about the fact like in 
I do think about the fact that like I didn't have money for food like as a teenager at times and that was like part of like me going out there and hustling and figuring out like for three dollars even at Rockefeller for like $1.99 we're busting down a blimpy sandwich and figuring out how to make it work and I think that's like important for a lot of us to share because people think it's like peaches and cream all along the way and even when I go to like like I've talked at different schools in like the Bronx or whatever and these kids don't realize that like there were a lot of times we were like even at Rockefeller when it was popping like there were times that you literally are sitting there like hey let's just get the three piece from Popeyes you can get this piece I'll get that when you take the biscuit and you figure it out but I don't really sit not too much this morning it was just like it was a different day and it's because we're in the process of moving I'm like wow we're gonna have a skylight Hmm. like are you kidding me yeah like hmm I'm thinking about it now though well yeah I mean like you know we talk about it for an hour and a half and it probably like you know, brings up a lot of things that you yeah. haven't thought about in a, in a in long, a long time. time. Yeah. Because yeah. you like just push it back, back, back. Yeah. And then you feel like for me, it's like, oh, there's so much more to do. Like, wait, we got to move on Saturday that you don't really sit and think. Yeah. Until you see somebody that might have taken the other path or road. Sure. And it's just like, wow, that could have been my life where there was like a ceiling. Because you have a skylight. I was like, no ceilings right now. Yeah. Like, don't leave. But I'm sure, like, do you guys feel like that with your journey? Like, you're living your dream now, you know? Yeah, I I think about it um, here and there. I think, you know, we've we've done a lot in in 11 years and and even going further, you know, beyond that. But it's, it's, I think it's important sometimes to look at your reflection and be like, wow, like, there's a real list of, you know, a real long list of accomplishments and they happen. Yeah, I think I'm sort of like the the way that you are, where it's just like there's it so feels much ghosty, left to do, right? Though, like, but it also feels well, to yeah. me like a little conceited to be like, ew, look at me. It's your I life. Know. It's your life. Oh. Congratulations on the new gig. Congratulations on everything that you did here in New York, and uh, we're looking forward to everything that's on the way. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste of Time with It's the Real Jeff. If people want to find out more about us, I'm Eric, your Jeff. Together. We are It's The Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. We also have Two Jews and Two Black Jews Review the Movies, our film podcast with The Locks. Jeff, if people want to find out more about what's going on with us in our world, in this universe, where can they go? I don't know. Talk to a friend. You can always go to itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. You can also find all of our old episodes and our new ones on iTunes and Spotify and all of the streaming services. Search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real, or you can just search for It's The Real. Much easier, much shorter. You can also find us on SoundCloud.com slash A Waste of Time or Two Jews, Two Black Dudes. We are also on all social media, including Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, and Instagram at It's The Real. Jeff, this is one of our favorite parts of the 12 Days of Podcast. We have put the word out and said, hey, if you guys want to be shouted out, now is the time to put your names in. And guess what? A lot of people have responded. And I just, before you get to the whole list, Jeff, 
I want to personally shout our friend Ron Funches, the great stand-up comedian who has an upcoming special on Comedy Central in two weeks. It's called Giggle Fit. It's January 4th at 11 p.m. on Comedy Central. Make sure you fuck with that. Tell your friends and family about it. Ron Funches, Comedy Central, Giggle Fit on January 4th. And I also want to shout out somebody who didn't hit us up on Twitter, but I want to shout out Maria Garcia out there in Kansas City. Big shout out to Maria, who is killing it, as always. So I just want to shout her out. She's the best. I also want to shout out someone, Jeff. Uh Our friend John Sparks, who masters not only our shit, but also Action Bronson's and French Montana's and Harry Fraud's and Currencies. He is a master mixer, a master masterer, and a great dude. Shout out and all our love to John Sparks down there in New Jersey. Also, he's six foot like six. Really? Yeah, did you know that? I did not know that. There you go. All right. All right, let's start this off with Dan Rice. Dan Rice over at Billboard, one of our favorite writers, one of our favorite people. Dan Rice asked if he could get shouted out. Absolutely. Go Juice. Also want to shout out Bob Fuentes, Multimedia Bob. I also want to shout out Dominic Myers, who said, I'll take one. And also... Meezy Boulevard, me of the Textually Active Podcast. I also want to shout out our boy, B.A. from Bama. Yeah. Ink and Ammo, Amir. I also want to shout out DJ Yanni, who we've known forever. Shy Town. Shy Town and from Greece. I also want to shout out Sammy Monet for real, for real. Yeah. Let's also shout out OKNYC from the Upper West Side, our neighbor. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Black Pharaoh Kron says. Let's also shout out Walasia, who said, why not? I also want to shout out OK Ray, who said, hey, guys. Shout out to Free Cannon XX and Alex Spies and Elijah Horton, who actually did not ask for a shout out, but he is looking for a Smiles and South Star Orlando episode that you know, we would do down there. You know, not out of the question check back with us tomorrow yeah i also want to shout out jan wen out in the netherlands and lawrence r my jokes are funny europe i also want to shout out andrew Byrne. yeah out in la who used to work for us at the sideshow network and has gone on to even better things without us let's also go with greg yrn because he has airpods i want to shout out the kid ty sean who says help me promo my song so i can't stop driving this ford escape i don't know what that means i think it means Either his song is called So I Can't Stop Driving This Ford Escape, or maybe it's like the movie Speed, and he's saying, help me promote my song so I can't stop driving this Ford Escape. I don't know, but shouts to the kid Tyshawn. I hope whatever you're asking for, I hope it works out. I also want to shout out Keith underscore A, Plantain Poppy, that's Fargo Music NY, and also Eritrean Hendrix. Shout out to you. As always, Jeff, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. See you guys tomorrow. Brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr